May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my spirit be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my joyous redeemer and my strength. Amen. Have a seat. Have you ever wondered, I wish I could have been with Jesus like the apostles? Then I would really be sure, sure of my faith, sure of his words to me, Sure that what I was hearing in sermons, books, tapes, podcasts, and conversations with people around us, I would really know if God was speaking to me. I have. I sometimes even yearn for heaven where we no longer see dimly. In 1 Corinthians we hear, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I only know in part. But then I shall know, even as also I am known. I do take comfort from St. Paul, who says, at least that now we can know in part. The bottom line for me is I want to hear God. I want to hear God in my most distressing times, and I want to hear him in my daily life. I want my loved ones to hear from God. And in some ways, I think that's the aspiration of all of us. The closer I get, him, the more I want to know what he thinks, both for me and my life with others. Bishop Stewart always encourages us to make a biblical apologetic for our point, so here I go. The good news is that Jesus gives a clear word of hope. He says in John's Gospel, my sheep know my voice, I know them, and they follow me. There's an important clue here. Jesus says we can hear him because we know him. Jesus also says, I will not leave you comfortless, but will send the Spirit who will lead you into all truth. That's not all he says. He also said, uh, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. To you, to me. Jesus assures us throughout the Gospels that he will be with us and that we will learn from him even unto the end of the age. From Adam and Eve through Abraham and Balaam and Paul all the way to the present. The scriptures today were specifically selected to remind us that God does speak. And that sometimes he speaks in extraordinary ways. So go to great lengths to get through to who he wants to get through to. Our loving God has promised that he will never leave us to our own devices. That is the kind of God we have. That is the kind of love he has for us. As a church, we've lost much of this competency. But Christians have come throughout history. The ancient tradition of the Desert Fathers was solidly relational. And much later, one of my favorites, St. Benedict, whose Benedictine rule helped shape Western Christian thought, his rule starts famously with the word, listen. Listen. Okay. Listen to what and why? The rule says, listening with the ear of the heart is the beginning of learning, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of openness to the voice of God and to one another. Listening allows us to be mentored by God to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Let me be clear, this is not an innovation. It is the way of Jesus, who said, 
I only say what the Father tells me. So one of my points in that developing relationship with God that in, is that developing a relationship with God is not new. It's not an innovation, but a recovery. One of my favorite colleagues says, give grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What call? How do we know? Well, we listen. We can see in the scripture that God will go to some extraordinary lengths to get through to his people, especially if he needs them. Balaam and Paul are some of the most dramatic examples in the Bible. God needed to get Balaam's attention, so he sent an angel. We talked about angels the last time I preached. It's clearly one of the ways God communicates with us. God was trying to get through to Balaam. He could not see it. If you look closely at the story, it is not that God was hiding. It was that Balaam was not perceiving. And why was he not perceiving? Balaam had his own agenda, and it was very clear. He was very sure of himself. And it is interesting to me that God's reaction to that is that he was angry. He was angry that he wasn't listening. Balaam was sticking to his agenda in spite of the fact that God was trying to reach out to him. He was refusing to be open to God to the point of not even seeing an angel right in front of him. Balaam was so ignorant to God's reaching out that he eventually spoke through the voice of his donkey. Kind of Narnian, actually. Balaam is shocked at the words coming from his donkey. And eventually, I would be too. <laughs> eventually, he repents of his agenda and goes back and waits for God to speak to him before he goes back to the king to share the words that God actually wanted him to share. I think that's an important part of the story. To me, St. Paul is even more dramatic. This is a touchstone story for me. Some of the same resistances are going on here. Paul is bright and educated. In Acts chapter 22, Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, who was one of the great teachers of his time, and his student. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, and I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Quite a statement. He became zealous to honor God in everything he did. I want you to think about that for a moment. Part of the point of this story is that an intent to serve God is not enough. It's not enough. You can't just want to serve God and everything falls into place. God desires a relationship. Who was Paul listening to? His teachers? The Jewish authorities, politicians who believed that Christians were an enemy of the state. I absolutely assume that as a devout Jew, Paul prayed. But I also know Paul was not listening. How do I know that? From Paul's own words. He says of himself, I became very zealous to honor God in everything that I did. Was rounding up and executing Christians God's will? He thought he was following God's will. Paul assumed he was. He was very committed to his faith as he understood it. And that's the point, as he understood it. He was not listening. But God breaks through in a mighty way. It says from the reading, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And what's Saul's reaction? He has no idea who's talking to him. Lord, who are you? He didn't know God before that. He knew his faith. He knew the law. He had studied with one of the great teachers of his time, but he did not know the Lord. And when the Lord spoke to him, it was evident. He had no idea who was speaking to him. And what was the response? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. It's a stunning, stunning turn of events for somebody who was sure he was following God's call to him. Paul was sure of it, make no mistake. God tells Paul exactly where to go. He didn't quote Isaiah or Jeremiah to him, which he could have. He didn't say go to seminary, learn the Bible, although there's certainly kind of what he did after he met with Ananias. God straightforwardly said, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The next part of the story is even more stunning to me. And it's very important to understanding how and why God speaks. Many Christians, I would guess, have little idea of who Ananias was. He's not a very major player in the Bible, or is he? (laughs) Of the 23,000 verses of the Bible, Ananias is only mentioned in seven of them. That's it. It's a very brief mention of him in the book of Acts. Yet he is the one who God reaches out to, not an apostle, not a prophet, seemingly a man of no further significance. He could have said to Paul, go to Jerusalem and meet a man called Peter and he will introduce you to James, the Lord's brother. He didn't. He didn't. Instead, he sends him to a home where he'll be met by a man named Ananias. I'd like to read to you Ananias' response from uh, the the Bible translation, the message. There was a disciple in in, in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias... Yes, God, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at a house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Ananias answered. He protested. Master, you can't be serious. Everyone's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing, about his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. But the master said, don't argue. Go. I have picked him as my personal representative to Gentiles and kings and Jews. I mentioned last time, too, I'm struck by Archbishop Ochoa's message from Brazil that sometimes I think we're too comfortable with the Bible. We've just heard the story so often that they don't, they don't really get the full import when you hear them. I think you would all agree that God did have need of Paul. I think you'd all agree. In hindsight, that's a really easy answer. In real time, confusing, terrifying. This is like God calling Eric in his prayer corner saying, I want you to go to Al Rashid Street in Baghdad. There is a man there named Osama bin Laden. He has had a dream about you. Lay hands on him and heal him, for I have need of him. (laughs) It would be terrifying, really. It would be tremendously vulnerable. Consider for a moment 
how would Ananias be able to do such a thing if he were not absolutely sure that God was speaking to him? How would he be able to step out to a man who had been given charge to, uh, to put in chains people like him and send him away to be killed? I think that's actually kind of an understated response to God. I might be yelling in my corner, you have got to be kidding. I can only imagine what my wife's answer would be for my children. We may never see you again. What do you mean you're going to Baghdad to talk to Osama bin Laden? How do you know? Ananias knew. Where would Christianity be without Paul? Even more shockingly, where would it be without that one word from God to Ananias? There would be no letters of Paul, no missionary journeys, more Christians dead, and on and on. Sometimes God speaking to us has huge implications. We need to be listening. Ananias' hearing and obedience to God's word is one of the most amazing and unlikely stories to me in all of Scripture. Hearing of God's words changed the course of history, and he was not even a major player, it seems like. Seven verses out of 23,000. Listening to God has a long and rich history. St. Benedict, in his rule, famously starts with the word listen. Hearing God and its impact is well documented. Some of the great folks that I love reading about who heard God, Hildegard of Bingen, Catherine of Siena, Julian of Norwich, are but a few of the great women who heard God's voice and changed the times they lived in and impacted Western Christianity forever. A Facebook meme makes me think of why we sometimes don't hear it like this. My wife said to me, are you even listening to me? And I thought, that's really a strange way to start a conversation. (laughs) We are just not paying attention sometimes. We're distracted. Before we can listen, we have to be paying attention. This may seem overly simplified, but it's absolutely true. We must begin to focus a little before we hear. Why? As we're told in 1 Kings chapter 19, God often speaks in a still, small voice. So we want to be still. And I would emphasize here inner stillness, a quiet mind. To hear God, we need to focus, quieting our soul, not necessarily our environment, but our soul. I don't think Paul's environment was quiet as he was going to round people up. God found a way to get through. We need to listen for the promptings of the Spirit, We need to discern the process, the content of our conversation, and then respond to what we have heard. We will learn by doing. We will learn by hearing. I'd like to follow up on Ananias a bit. The readings for today have some extraordinary aspects. Paul and Balaam, their lives were broken into even while they were wrongly thinking they were doing God's will. In this way, God's word was a correction, but for Ananias, it was very different making a few leaps here, but I don't think they're very big. It appears to me that Ananias was likely a faithful member of a house church in Damascus. I think I can safely say that he was not someone passively waiting for something to happen, but was attentive to the Spirit. If he had faith to hear God and faith to heal at God's command, I can safely assume he was a man who prayed and listened in the sense that St. Benedict states, with the ears of his heart. I assume he was a man who exercised spiritual reflection and an expectation that God would speak. And how do I know this? 
because the Bible says he heard, he accepted, he acted, and his response bore fruit. After this, Paul spent three years in Arabia searching the scriptures. He engaged the scripture and the spirit revealed Jesus in them. Let me remind you, there was no New Testament. When he says he searched the scriptures, he was reading the Old Covenant. It's the only Bible Paul had. It's helpful to remember that Christian growth and development does not act like Jesus. It comes from encountering Jesus and becoming more like Jesus from the inside out. The way to become more like Jesus is to hear from the Father, to be in conversation with him like Jesus did and like Ananias did. God speaks to us spirit to spirit. Paul says in Romans, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. In Corinthians it says, 1 Corinthians, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. <laughs> Throughout, through that, come, uh, our thoughts come from the spirit, spirit to spirit. We're taught by the spirit. I think that's a concept I want you to remember as well. If we understand this way of understanding, even listening to the Bible is about allowing the spirit of God to teach us about life in the kingdom of God as revealed by the word to our heart, not simply for our own understanding of the text. I think this is where Paul lost it. But this does present an elephant in the room. Why would God want to speak to me? It's really pretty simple. Because he loves us. And he loves us all specifically, not in general or not in an abstract way. He loves us personally, and he's waiting for us to acknowledge him and invite him into our lives. The book of Revelation gently says, literally says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. Do you think he'll eat with us in silence? <laughs> That's not the experience of my dinner table, and I'm sure it's probably not the experience of yours. It was not the experience of the apostles on the road to Emmaus. He spoke and their hearts burned. They didn't even know who he was. It didn't matter. His words caused them, to just their, their hearts to burn within them. Can you imagine your parents or your loved ones only communicating you by letter? And then being in their presence and never speaking to you? That is not the way relationships work. And it's not the way God wired us to work. And it's not the way God expects us to engage him. You look at the people. You, you love them. I, I, as a grandfather, I can say, uh, I was really one who was very career-oriented when I was young. I worked very, very hard. Um, I laid a lot of responsibility on my wife to raise our kids. I was there. I was there for every dinner. We ate, we talked, and I'd go back to work. Since I've had grandchildren, that behavior has changed. I used to wonder, why are people talking about their grandkids all the time? I, I don't get it. Till I had one. Bang. He comes into the house. I stop everything. I can't wait to hear the next word he learned from the last time I saw him running around and giggling and smiling and laughing, the joy he has just makes my heart swell. I don't know how I missed that with my kids. I don't know how I missed it. 
but I hear this story from grandparents a lot. I think God looks at us like grandparents. We're the apple of his eye. He can't wait for us to be around with him. And he delights in our joy. He's ready to heal our sorrows. He's ready to hold us when we fall down and brush off our knees. This is a God who is not disconnected, who is not remote. Is not some Roman mythological God who sits up playing chess, trying to figure out where our life's going to go. This is a God who loves us intimately and wants to be with us. Another important aspect, how do we know it's God that's talking to us? Developing a relationship, that's how we know. In general, we know that God's power, God's word has power in life. The more life-giving the word is, the more likely it's probably from God. His word bears fruit, and his confrontations tend to be gentle and caring, much like that grandparent I was telling you about. Please understand that hearing God is not some secret technique. There's no smoke and mirrors here. It's not reserved for only a special few. But if that's true, then how do we hear God? Simply, we sit with God and bask in his love. We seek to be with him more and more, as we become more aware of his presence, not in an abstract sense of truth, but in the way our grandmother would recognize as being with someone. We need to expect to hear from God and be open to his reaching out to us. Appreciative, conversational, in good times and in bad, with our hearts, not just our heads. We are asking that all of you take time to be with God to seek his face, to fall in love with being with a God who chooses to be with us until the end of the age, who will, who will comfort us, will be our shepherd and our friend. Remember he calls the apostles friends in John 15? This relationship is not abstract. It is about love. It is about love as you know it and understand it. It is about love as you experience it. The scripture teaches we rejoice and delight in you we will praise your love more than wine. And Jesus says, the sheep know my voice, and they follow me. I want to share a story from our youth, my youth. God gave me a word when I was young, I'm teaching a youth group in 1978 when I was in my 20s. I had a life-changing encounter with a Nazarene seminary student from Kansas City who had come to Racine as a missionary. When he was new to Racine and walking through the downtown, God told him to walk into this church he walked past, where I happened to be there for a Bible study. I know God told him this because he told me God told him this. He introduced himself and was welcomed to have dinner with us before our Bible study began. I immediately connected with him. He was bright, charismatic, and on fire to serve the Lord. And now, as of today, he's been a pastor for over 35 years. I am that old. Over the ensuing months, we talked, we prayed, and we shared how God had touched our hearts for ministry. He invited me to shadow him in his summer youth ministry. One evening at a youth gathering on Racine's north side, we talked to a young girl in the youth group who was desperate to hear God's voice, but she was terrified she'd get it wrong. She thought it could send her life skidding in the wrong direction, and so she just didn't know what to do. And the Lord said to me as clear as a bell, talk about a telephone. Not many times in my life have I had a word come to me that clear, but I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what God meant. It went something like this. Hearing God is like being on a telephone. 
When you get a call from someone you know intimately, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your grandpa, you know them immediately. Occasionally we get it wrong due to distraction, noise, or whatever, but generally you get it right. This comforted her and gave me something to think about for the, in the ensuing years. For example, my mom does not have to tell me when it's her when she calls me on the phone. My sister doesn't say, have to say, hi, it's Sue. I know it. I know her voice. I've heard it thousands of times, even how it's subtly different on a phone. I know her inflection. My wife does not have to introduce herself when she calls me, and we don't introduce each other. Hi, this is Jim. It's like, no kidding, Sherlock. <laughs> you know. God said that night to me as I was coming home from that, that retreat, you will know who I am. I knew this to be true. Even an imposter can't fool you if you listen with a discerning ear. And sometimes you can't be fooled even if you're not listening with a discerning ear. And if you're still not sure, you can always ask the person more, for more clarity or you can run it by others. I'm going to ask three people to come up and join me for just a minute. Aiden, would you come on up here for a minute? Is he still here? Aiden, come on up. Mary, would you come on up? And uh, would you come on up? Really simple. I'm not going to do anything crazy. Not that that wouldn't be beyond me. But uh, Adam, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. When your wife calls you on the phone, how do you know it's her? I know her by her voice. Go ahead. Use your outside voice. <laughs> I know her voice. I mean, she doesn't have to say, hey, it's, it's me, Faith, your wife. What about if it's some, could you imagine somebody maybe trying to impersonate her? How, how would you know? I mean, maybe her sister could get away with that. Maybe. <laughs> but why just maybe? Um, I think even still I would know that it was her. Mm -hmm. Mary. Yeah. <laughs> if David called you, mm -hmm. how would you know it was him? If he didn't say his name, how would you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, all my kids, they have their own tone color. Sorry, I have to nope. say it. It's <laughs> fantastic. She said, each of my kids have their own kind of tone color. We're musicians. I get that. <laughs> they also have their own inflection points. Yeah. They also have their own self-interest. They also have just all kinds of reasons. John, I'm ask you the same question. When Lisa calls how, on the phone, how do you know? I know her vocabulary. I know the way she talks to me. And I can hear that immediately. How about your dad? When your dad calls, out of the blue, you haven't heard yeah, from him. Yeah. I, 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 you can immediately hear the way my dad thinks in the way he speaks. Thanks. Thanks very much. There's just a way I know I can be sure. I know Jeannie well enough now. If she called me on the phone, I would recognize her voice. We have an ability to do that. We sometimes don't consider that when we think about God because we think about God in the abstract. That he's some kind of force out there like Star Wars and, and, and somehow you've got to be trained as a Jedi to hear, to hear that voice or you'll never know what's going on. That is not how our God behaves. He loves us. He wants to be intimate. He wants to know our thoughts and he wants us to know his thoughts. I've never got off the phone with my dad after a long conversation went, oh my God, that might not have been him. <laughs> I just talked to him for an hour. That could have been somebody else. 
What if I end up in the wrong place because this is not really my dad, but somebody calling me to fool me? Oh, my goodness. It just doesn't happen, okay? And so I would like to demystify a little bit the idea of what it means to hear God. To hear somebody who loves you, who knows you better than you know yourself. Okay? Take comfort that if you take the opportunity to listen, that you will hear. It says in Matthew, if you ask for, a, a, for bread, what, what father would give you a stone? Or if you ask for an egg, a scorpion? If you say, Lord, I want to hear you. I want to be with you. I want to know for sure that you love me. Why would he withhold that? It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not the testimony of the scripture. It's not the testimony of the church. It's not the testimony of Hildegard of Bingen. It's not the testimony of St. Benedict. It's not the testimony of Father Eric. <laughs> it's just not. Take a chance. Take a chance. A little bit on, on discernment. In Galatians, Peter and Paul stood each other to the face on the issue of circumcision. Two educated by Jesus himself, uh, men, one who was called off and knocked off his horse, they didn't quite get it right. Okay, it's not, this, I, wanna, I don't want to perpetuate any fantasy here, that if you hear God, nothing will ever go wrong. You will never, ever hear anything in a way that will confuse you or stun you or cause you to have to think. Think in our own relationships with the people that we know best. Sometimes you just got to work things out. You got to talk about it. You, you, have to, you have to dig a little deeper to know what was really meant. I can tell you from my own experience that God has told me things that I've thought about for years. Just keep plumbing the depths over and over and over. That's a whole other sermon. Maybe I'll be lucky enough to give that to you sometime. Getting God's voice partly depends on others. It that discernment comes through the body of Christ, it comes through our, those we love, and it, that word can sometimes come from the most extraordinary places or the most ordinary setting. He speaks every day, and he wants to be with us. Give me one last example. A few weeks ago, men's group, uh, Doc told a story about his sons when they were young. He came home with Steve's brother and found that his yard had been TP. Remember TPing? You've got to be kind of my age or, or close to that to do that. Just throwing toilet paper up in the air and letting it go over the trees and the phone lines and the roof. It was really big in the 70s, I'll tell you. Doc came home and his, his, his uh, yard had toilet paper everywhere. It was pretty hot from the way he shared the story. There was toilet paper in the trees and the bushes and all over the front yard. And he enlisted the help of his son to help cl start cleaning up the mess. And as we were pulling down the paper, his son said, like, Dad, you know this was done by Steve's friends. In a strange moment of clarity, and I have to say, Doc, you're a better man than I. In a strange moment of clarity, he realized that this was done by people who liked Steve. In kind of a teenage twisted way, it was an affectionate way to let them, Steve, know that, that, hey, we're your friends. We don't really do that now, but as teenagers, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> it was a prank done in joy with a twisted sense of teenage affection. Doc reversed his, his, his behavior. He started actually putting the paper back up. He wanted Steve to see what his friends had done. 
and experience the joy, not of vandalism, but a playful act of joy and friendship. It was completely transformed in his mind. The word of God came to his son, to Doc, and his eyes were open. The scales fell off his, head, off his eyes. They fell off. Oh my goodness, this is not what it looked like. It's not what it looked like. It's just amazing to me. The psalmist says, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak to his people and to his saints. Jesus said, the sheep know my voice. What you see can be transformed by a little word. I pray that you will know the good shepherd, that you will listen to what the Lord God is saying, that you will trust the Holy Spirit whom God has sent to lead you into all truth, and pray that you have the courage to open the door and let Jesus in. I would like to end with a brief quote from Proverbs from uh, uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Run to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.